turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. Our text this morning is chapters 11 and 12. Our story is picking up pace, if you haven't noticed. And Lord willing, these next nine weeks, we will finish the history of Judah and Israel together. And coinciding with our move into our new building, we will begin to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. But for now, we have 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12. I'd like to begin by reading the first 16 verses. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. It is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it is sufficient. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. They hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. But the seventh year Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards, and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them, and put them under oath in the house of the Lord, and he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One-third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you, which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king, shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks, and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. And there she was put to death. 
Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would make clear your word to us, even through this story of Joash. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and that you would help us to know you in a deeper and more meaningful way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Security is something that we look for, isn't it? In many different ways. Some of us look for security in a healthy savings account. Perhaps you know the stories or have seen uh, tales of someone who has a brush with death and their way of responding to that by way of security is to find planes to jump out of and cliffs to bungee jump off of and death-defying stunts to take. Some seek to find security in myriads of regulations, making sure that every possible little tiny chance of anything that could ever think about causing cancer is somehow walled off from us. Still others of us find security in trying to think through every possible permutation of outcomes and to come up with a plan for each one of them. That's my temptation as a recovering lawyer. Well, what this text this morning, this long story of a king, two chapters he gets in our story, Joash, tells us is that real security in all circumstances, the grimmest and the most hopeful, is only found in the Lord. The only place that we can be secure in such an unsecure world is by seeking the Lord God himself. And so what I would like us to see this morning from our two-chapter text are people who are secure in boldly acting for the Lord. Secure in boldly acting for the Lord. And then we will see those who are secure in boldly uniting with the Lord. Acting for the Lord and then uniting with the Lord. And then finally we will see positive and negative examples of being secure in boldly trusting in the Lord. Acting for the Lord, uniting with the Lord, and trusting in the Lord. Well, let's begin then where our text starts at chapter 11 and verse 1. And we'll see security being found in boldly acting for the Lord. The first thing that we see is a boldness in preservation. It is a bold act of preservation. The story resumes from where we left it perhaps a chapter or a chapter and a half ago. We're back in Judah again after having looked at what's going on in Israel. And just as Israel is going through upheaval and tumult, so also is Judah. You will remember that King Ahaziah is dead at the hand of Jehu along with King Jehoram of Israel. And when news of the death of the king comes forward, the queen, the queen mother, we might say, Athaliah, sees this as her opportunity. She is Ahaz's mother. And she goes back into the library, pulls out her mom's handbook, handbook of Jezebel. Whenever you have any opportunity for a crisis, seize it. 
and she immediately proclaims herself queen. And she takes this opportunity and doesn't leave anything to chance, as it were. She has this planned out. She takes the rest of the royal family, anyone else who could come to the throne, and has them killed. Now, you need to understand a little bit of background that we don't have in Kings that's found in Second Chronicles 21, 22, and 23. And that is that Judah has been under some judgment from God for their disobedience under the kings. And the royal family hasn't exactly had an easy time of it. You remember King Jehoram, not of Israel, but of Judah? As soon as he got into power, the first thing he did was kill all of his brothers and sisters so that he would be the only one in charge. And then he marries and has some children, and God judges King Jehoram, and the reason Ahaziah becomes king is because the Arabians and the Ethiopians kill all of his brothers and sisters. So we have all of Jehoram's siblings wiped out. We then have all of Ahaziah's siblings wiped out. He's the last one left. Ahaziah has some sons and nieces and nephews, and you recall that 42 of them went on a trip to Jezreel, and they met up with Jehu. And they were all killed. So I want you to get the picture here. In about a generation and a half, what was a healthy and numerous royal family is now down to one baby. Why is that significant? Because upon this one baby hangs not just a kingdom, but the very promise of God. You remember that back, way back at the beginning of 1 Kings, when God promised David that there would always be a lamp on the throne of Israel, where there would always be a son of David. And now here we have the most precarious of situations. This is not what an insurance company would underwrite. Actuarial tables don't go for this. Only one survivor, and he is a helpless baby. Well, Athaliah is at work. She is killing off the royal family, and it is a consequence of a man of God's actions. Jehoshaphat, you recall, married his son to Athaliah. This danger has now taken full root. Murder is found in the royal family. The worship of Baal is everywhere. It appears that the dynasty of Ahab is about to take over. Living in Judah at this time might be a bit like living in England right after Dunkirk. When everyone around them was saying, throw in the towel. The Germans have won. They've beaten Poland. They've beaten France. They're everywhere in Europe. They're allied with the Soviet Union. You're all alone. What do you do? And just as Winston Churchill shook his fist at the Germans and said that we will resist to the utmost, a gutsy lady shakes her fist at the enemies of God and says, we will resist and stand upon the promise of God. This is not Rambo. This is not some mighty man of David. This is a lady 
a refined lady, a princess. She is a sister of Ahaziah. She is the wife of a priest. Yet, she is perhaps one of the gutsiest, bravest women in all of Scripture. Because she knows, as one commentator says, I think quite wittily, that at this time right now, you spell Antichrist, A-T-H-A-L-I-A-H. The spirit of Antichrist is alive in Queen Athaliah. And so, Jehoshaphat, in the bravest of manners, acts. Now, I want you to notice she spirits away this child and hides him in what our text says is a bedroom. It's probably better described as what you would think of as a large linen closet, a place where the bedroom clothes and furnishings are kept. Because after all, it would be a place that you wouldn't look for a baby. Not a place that you would. And see how God is acting through her. Is there a spectacular miracle? No. Does the voice of God thunder from on high and say, Jehoshaphat, you must save the line of David? No. Is there a Bible verse that she can turn to and say, I know exactly what I was made for? No. This is simply a woman of God acting in accordance with the word of God and the promise of God. She knows the promise of God, and she takes action upon it. And not just one bold act. She's not just brave for 15 minutes. No, she holds this child for six years in the temple. It should remind you of another bold action that saves the line of the Redeemer. Pharaoh's daughter. And just as Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' mother as the nurse raise up the Redeemer of Israel right under the nose of Pharaoh, right outside the palace, as it were, right under the nose of the devil queen, the king of Judah is being raised up by the people of God through the power of God. Do you see how God acts in this way? The next time that you are tempted when the wicked one whispers in your ear that you're not important, what you're doing doesn't really matter, your ministry is small time, you come to Second Kings 11, and you read of this ordinary woman who doesn't occur in any history book, who doesn't have biographies of her in every Christian bookstore, who really, except for this passage, is never heard from again. But she acts boldly in a way that matters significantly for not just her family, but for the very kingdom of God. This is a bold preservation. We then see her husband act by means of a bold restoration. You see, because God does not call his servants simply to prevent disaster. He calls upon us to build up his kingdom through his strength. You see, Jehoiada knows that this situation can't last. You can't keep the king boy in the temple 24 hours a day forever. You can't avoid the spies of the devil queen forever. And so he finds the time in which he will act when Joash is seven years old and he begins to move the kingdom forward.
this is the way in which Christ moves his kingdom forward. You see, we are tempted to look out at the news or the newspaper and to think that we are under siege as the church, that we have no chance, that we have no opportunities, that the only thing we can do is hold on and not fall down the cliff. But that's not biblical Christianity. You see, Jesus Christ and his kingdom advance. As I've said to you before, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church because the church is on the offense, not the defense. The church will knock down the gates of hell. And so Jehoiada takes a plan to make everything right again. Again, there is no spectacular movement by God, but Jehoiada uses wisdom. He uses the word of God. He breaks out the weapons of David. Those weapons that had been founded in the te- at the founding of the temple. And he breaks out, you see here in verse 12, the testimony. He puts the crown on Joash and he hands him the testimony. It is very likely that this testimony is God's testimony. Not Joash's. That it is the testimony of God found in Deuteronomy 17, where God gives instructions about what a king is to do. It's Judah's constitution. And that is not a living document. It is written in the very word of God. And so Jehoiada knows where to go to restore the kingdom of God and to move forward. He goes to the word of God. Is that where you go when you have difficulty in your family or your relationships or your job or in thinking about what your ministry will look like throughout the years? Are you founded upon the very word of God? Does the word of God inform your decisions about where to go to college or what job to take or what house to buy? You see, you cannot use the excuse that Jehoiada is a Bible guy. You see, Jehoiada is resting on a Bible promise that for him is centuries old, 500 to 600 years old. This is not something that he just read last week or that God had just done in front of him. He sees that the Bible, the scriptures, are timeless, and he rests his very life on them. We're called to do the same thing. And so Jehoiada sets up this plan, and he crowns the king, and Athaliah comes out. She sees everything that's going on, and she yells out, treason, treason. A little pot, kettle calling. Treason? What does she think? This shows just how completely out of touch with reality she is. She has no religious support. She has no military support. She's out there by herself. You almost get the idea that she's out there in her finery screaming and yelling, and nobody listens to her. And Jehoiada says, drag her off out the back. And can't you almost picture in your mind they're picking her up by the arms and walking her out or feet her off the ground kicking? You can't do this to me. I'm the queen. You must listen to me. I'm the queen. Yeah, right, lady. We're going out the horse gate. You know horses? Your mother really liked horses. They trampled her to death. 
There is no compromise here from Jehoiada. He doesn't say to himself, you know, it might be good to co-op the Athaliah element of the government. It might be good to get to work the Baal worshippers into our society. No. He says, we must wipe out falsehood in order to have truth. You see, it quickly becomes known what is reality and what is appearance. Athaliah simply appears to be in charge. She just appears to be in control. She appears to be the one who knows what's going on. And that's not the reality. And it is wiped out in a moment. You see, Jehoiada is being a bit subversive. Now, subversive isn't always a bad word. Because, you see, that's how God's ways are. Perhaps God was subversive in the way he called you to himself. Just so happened you moved next to someone who was friendly. And that person just so happened to be a Christian. And they just so happened to invite you over for a meal. And they just so happened to be there for you when you had difficulty. Or maybe it just so happened that you met a friend at work who just so happened to have boldness to witness to you. You see, this is how the kingdom of God works often. It permeates everywhere. It's not trickery. It is everywhere. Perhaps this is why this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you resist it. Because you're afraid he'll be subversive in your life. That once he gets a hold of you, it won't just be church. It'll be the way you have to relate to your wife or your husband. You'll have to change the way you deal with your kids. You may have to act differently at work. And your relatives may be scared, witless, because they know if you become a Jesus person, then they might become a Jesus person. You see, this is how the kingdom of God works. It's like, well, let me see if I can come up with an example. Like leaven in a loaf. It spreads out everywhere because of the power of God. This is boldly acting for the Lord. Well, Jehoiada sees that Joash is made king. We're going to refer to our king as Joash, so we're not confused. Again, he has the same Billy and William problem that some other kings have in Hebrew. But we're going to refer to him as Joash, so we remember him. And we see that what begins then is a process of uniting the people of God with the Lord. And the first thing that we see here in verse 17 are zealous servants. Zealous servants. Let's look at the text. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. And also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. 
Do you notice here what they are doing in verse 17? They are not stopping at mere political power. They are reforming the worship of God. And in a sense, there's a real difference here between Jehu and Jehoiada and Joash. You remember that Jehu was all for cleaning house, but had no interest at all in setting up the true religion of God. He was happy to let the state religion roll on. You see, sometimes this is the temptation of the church. The church is tempted to clean house without setting up the proper glory of God. We're tempted to think, if we can just root out what's wicked in our society, if we can just get political power, then things will change. But you see, the church should never see that as its main mission. The church should be involved in rooting out wickedness. The church should be involved in informing our rulers about God's law, but it doesn't stop there. That's the preliminaries. You see, the main event is setting up the worship of God, and renewing covenant with God. That's what's driving this action. And it comes as no surprise to us then that it is a priest who is in charge of this rebellion. Because that is what he really wants. We can almost think of it in the sense that he's not that concerned that Joash get his birthright. He's more concerned that a good king renew the covenant with the Lord God. And so that's his emphasis. And so what results is more than just leadership. What results is a renewal of the covenant. In verse 17, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. And actually, we might better say, and Jehoiada made the covenant. There is the definite article in the Hebrew. This is a renewing of the covenant of Israel and the Lord. It's a renewal of what Moses did on Sinai in Exodus 24. It's a renewal of what Joshua did in Joshua 24. It's a renewal of what Asa did in 2 Chronicles 15. It is a renewal of the relationship and the awareness of that relationship between the people of God and the Lord. You could almost say that the new king and this coup, this rebellion, is almost more like a tool in the hand of the covenant than an end in itself. You're familiar with tools for an end, right? You see, what's important here, what is critical, is Israel's relationship, covenantal relationship with the living God. Everything else is a means to that end. We also see that the zeal that the people have for the covenant of God brings about peace. Look at verse 20. It says that the city was quiet. The land had peace after Athaliah had been put to death. Do not let others convince you that compromise of principles, compromise of biblical principles, are the way toward peace. They're not. 
we're going to see in chapters to come that Israel is anything but peaceful. But Judah has peace because it is committing itself wholeheartedly to the Lord God. Well, these servants are zealous, but we also see that these servants are imperfect. Look here beginning at verse 21 and going through the first three verses of chapter 12. Jehoash, that is Joash, was seven years old when he began to reign. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign, and he reigned forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and to make offerings on the high places. Now, notice what happens here in verses 21 and then 1 and 2. Jehoash was so old when he began to reign. He, he reigned in this year. He reigned so many years. This is, we might say, the same old, boring king formula that we've seen over and over again. Isn't it? You can go back and find it. This is the way these things happen. We didn't have that when Athaliah took over. This is the same old, boring formula. But you see, one of the things we need to do is not denigrate the consistency of covenant life. There is nothing wrong with this kind of boring, because it is constant, it is peaceful, it is good. This is what God has in plan for his people. I had a an interesting uh, quip that I used to use in the comp before I while I was in seminary, before I came into the pastorate, I was heavily involved with a startup company. And any of you who know what's involved with starting up a company is there are lots of highs and lows and maybe we'll make a big deal or all oh, the disappointment, the ups and downs and crashes. And we were sitting around one day and the woman who's in charge of the finance said, well, you never a dull day around here. And I said, you know, I wish it was. I just love the boring counting of money. I don't like this up and down and crash. Can we pay the bills and will the customer leave? I love the boring counting of money. And you see, in a different way, that's what God's people should love. They should love the boring everyday life of happy marriages, of good families, of churches that are united, of the kingdom moving forward. You see, we don't want the excitement of Athaliah and Jehu. Do we? If we're honest, you see, that's what's going on here. But the problem is, all is not well in River City. You see, because there is trouble here with a capital C, which stands for compromise. Because you see, Joash has not gone to the place where Jehoiada would have him go. And so we begin to expect more problems, because he has done what is right, but yet he doesn't take away the high places. That is a sin that the people of Judah nourish, that they can't get rid of, and he doesn't attack it. And so we see trouble is around the corner. You know, the ominous music is playing in the background. Dun, dun. What's going to happen next? And we miss just a little bit here in the translation of this ominous background through one little word. 
There's one Hebrew particle that can mean either because or while or when. I think here it is better translated while or when. So Jehoash, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days while Jehoiada the priest instructed him or when the priest instructed him. You see, the idea is when Jehoiada is there, he reigns in Joash. Joash wants to do something crazy and he says, not real good. What do you mean, priest? You read Deuteronomy 17? Come on. We did this last week. Read Deuteronomy 17. Oh, that's right. Well, what about if we... No. What? Read Exodus 20. Come on, read it to me. Okay. You almost get that impression that Jehoiada is making sure that Joash is on the right track. And Jehoiada lives a good long life. Joash is not left in the lurch. We know from Second Chronicles that Jehoiada lived till 130. And Joash reigned more than two decades while his friend the priest was there to help him. But we sense something is going to happen because he can't root out the worship on the high places and he's dependent on Jehoiada. Now, let me stop for a minute and remind you of something. This passage here, verses 2 and 3, should remind each and every one of you of the importance of personal faith. Teens, it is not sufficient that you are obedient and godly while your parents instruct you. We're going to see what happens to Joash. Men, it is not sufficient for you to be godly while your kids are around to see your behavior. You must, you must use, act on personal faith at all times. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for more Jehoiadas. We should. We should pray for more godly parents. But godly parents should push godly children to their own exercise of personal faith. It will not be sufficient on Judgment Day to say, well, my parents took me to church. Depart from me. I never knew you. You must close with Jesus yourself. You must have personal faith. And so the reform stops. And we see that there has been security in boldly acting for the Lord. And there has been security in boldly uniting with the Lord by means of a covenant. And now we see that there is security found in boldly trusting in the Lord. And so what happens? In verse 4, Joash begins the temple repair project. Now, if you're wondering, I haven't heard about this before. There's a reason for that. No one has done any work on the temple since Solomon. Several hundred years. Probably more time than between you and George Washington. That's how long it's been before anyone has gotten out and done some work around the temple. And you think you ladies had a difficult time getting your husbands to do some work around the house. And we see why this may be the case, because when Joash says, let's spruce up the temple, sure, boss, whatever you say, boss. A couple of years go by. Didn't we fix that shingle? 
Didn't we, weren't we supposed to polish that marble? Yeah, yeah, sure, boss, we'll get to it. Years go by, weeks become months, become years. Twenty years later, Joash comes in, he says, this place is a mess. Didn't I give you an order? Where's my scribe? When was that? And he, he acts like a king. Look at what he, look at what happens here. He says in verse seven, why are you not repairing the house? And in just like a mom, he doesn't even give them a chance to answer because he knows what they've been doing or not doing. He answers his own question. Now, therefore, take no more money from the donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. He says, you guys are a bit lazy. Now, there's no indication that they're pocketing the money, that they're being dishonest, that these are wicked priests. These are just people who other priorities have gotten in the way. Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? When was the last time you said to someone, I wish I would have got to that, but Thursday was a crazy day, right? Guilty is charged. But here when we're talking about things of the people of God, it's important to think. And so what they do is they roll up their sleeves and they see what needs to be done. They trust in the Lord because there's work to be done. And they go out and do the work. This is like the difference between a wedding and marriage. Right? It's really fun to have a king crowning ceremony, dress everybody up, wicked lady gets taken off, good party afterwards. Not so much fun to scrub the marble, right? But that's life, isn't it? Not every day is. How many times have any of you ladies worn your wedding dress a second time? Doesn't happen. I know none of you guys are putting in the tux, trying to cinch it up, right? Marriage is different than a wedding. Marriage is every day, faithfulness, trusting the Lord in every situation, good, bad, and in the midst of a lot of hard work. It's hard work, isn't it, to be in a family? It's exhausting. Let me tell you, Tuesday's my day off. You know where I want to be? At the office. It's a lot less work at the office. It's hard work being around a family. And that's what is happening here for the people of Judah. But to their credit, the priests roll up their sleeves, they get the carpenters hired, they don't complain, they trust God to build up the temple the same way that he restored the king. Maybe not as spectacularly, but they do it. And so the temple repairs get done. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really take away from anything that has been happening. They just keep going. But then something happens in verse 17. Verses 14 to 16 are Joash's crowning achievement. At every debate amongst the kings of the ancient Near East, he would use any opportunity he could to put in that soundbite. Well, you know, I'm a solid king. I repaired the temple. And when those priests didn't want to get the money and get it working, I made them do it. Who did it? Joash did. Joash is the man you can trust with your kingdom. Right? That's his crowning achievement. Verses 14 to 16. And then in verse 17, it all falls apart. And in typical biblical fashion, it all falls apart on one little word. The English is three words at that time. The, the Hebrew is actually one we could say then, at that time, then. That one word, then, at that time, 
is like someone taking a switchblade to a tire. Can you see the car sink? Because what has happened here is that everything that he has built up will be gone in two verses. At that time, Hazel, the king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Hazel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts, and all the gold that was found in the treasury of the house of the Lord, and of the king's house, and he sent them to Hazel, king of Syria. Then Hazel went away. It's almost as if all of this crowning achievement is an indictment of Joash. You see, he trusted God when there was work to be done. But when the times got tough, when the enemy was at the doorstep, he didn't trust God to protect him. He scrambled around and he said, there's got to be a golden bread basket here somewhere. Let's give that to the Syrians. What do you have in your jewelry drawer, honey? We're going to give that to the Syrians. Give them everything because we have no way out of this. You could almost imagine if Jehoiada was there. Joash. Please read the book of Joshua to me. Joash. Judges 5. Come on. You see how the Lord protects his people? But you see, Joash didn't trust when the chips were down. He didn't think that the Lord could protect him. And so he begins to slide deeper and deeper into trouble. This, I think, is a bit of the principle that to whom much is given, much is expected. If we are given much, we must trust the Lord much. You see, it is in these darkest times that God wants us to lean upon Him because He's taken away all other supports. That's where you are to go when the doctor's test comes back. That's where you're to go when your child is bleeding. That's where you are to go when you get the test and you realize you don't know half of what's on the test. When the times are tough, that's where you are to go to trust the Lord himself. Well, this is the story of a king. It starts out well. It doesn't end well. But it's still helpful for us. Because you see, in the final analysis, what is important to us is our relationship with the Lord, being united with Him. That we might act boldly on His behalf. And that we might trust in Him no matter what our situation or our troubles. As usual, you will probably not be king of Judah. But you can learn from the principles that God puts in His Word the way in which you are to relate to him, which is no different from any person of Judah or Israel. This is the same God we serve. He is one to be glorified and trusted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us this story, that we might know that you indeed are powerful. We ask that you would bless us this day to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen.